Good evening and welcome to Independent News Hour. I'm your host, John Tarleton, editor in chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website, celebrating our twenty second anniversary this month. We're also online at independent.org, I N D Y P E N D E N T dot O R G. And I'm joined by my co host, Amber Gagarian. Hi, John. It's great to be here with you, and welcome to all of our listeners on 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. We have another amazing show today, and for our first segment, we're going to follow up on yesterday's Labor Day activities with the latest on what's happening with the Amazon Labor Union, which won a big victory at the end of last week. And in the second half of the show, we're going to look at the start of the new school year, which begins on Thursday for New York City's one million public school students. Our special guest will be Dr. Kalira Ramirez-Salas, a public school parent leader and a member of New York City School Board. She has been a leading critic of the decision by Mayor Eric Adams and the City Council to defund the schools this year by $469 million. She will talk about the impact that decision is having and what public education activists are doing to claw that money back but first we turn to labor day 2022 and how it was celebrated yesterday by a rising new generation of bold young unionists they marched through mid-manhattan while stopping to rally outside the multi-million dollar homes of starbucks ceo howard schultz and amazon ceo jeff bezos the march ended with a final rally in times square Amber, you were there yeah right as you said yesterday labor day um Workers who had the day off joined together. Um, the Amazon Labor Union, do- Union joined by Starbucks Workers United, which are both insurgent um, independent labor campaigns, were joined by many other insurgent groups uh, who rallied to demand billion-dollar companies like Amazon and Starbucks recognize their unions. Uh, Starbucks, Starbucks Workers United have won 200 union elections around the country in the past uh, year or so. So that's been huge. And Amazon has uh, organized and, and won an election at Staten Island. And we also have elections upcoming in other places. Um, but n- now we're going to hear from Derek Palmer, who is the vice president of the Amazon Labor Union and uh, was speaking yesterday at the protest. So we'll go to that clip now. Yeah. Yeah. We're organizing. You 
country. Yeah. Yeah. They exploiting us every day. So you know what we're gonna have to do? Y'all know what we have to do? We're gonna strike! Sorry about that. That was Derek Palmer, vice president of the Amazon Labor Union, speaking yesterday in front of Jeff Bezos's penthouse at 212 Fifth Ave to a crowd of four to five hundred supporters. And at the end, they're all yelling, chanting that they're going to strike in case I spoke over that. Um, <laughs> now we are joined by Seth Goldstein and Michael Verastro of the Amazon Labor Union. And we're going to speak with them in a minute here for the latest developments with the Amazon Labor Union. But first, on April 1st of this year, the Amazon Labor Union pulled off what many said was impossible. And they won a union election at JFK, an Amazon warehouse in Staten Island that employs six to 10,000 workers. A union campaign had been launched there two years prior by workers Gerald Bryson, Jordan Flowers, Derek Palmer, and Christian Smalls, who were all at the protest yesterday. The election results, the win by the union, was objected by Amazon, and after months of hearings and deliberation, the National Labor Relations Board announced on Thursday that the company's objections had no merit. The worker-led Amazon Labor Union is demanding the company come to the bargaining table and negotiate a first contract. Amazon workers in Campbellsville, Kentucky, Garner, North Carolina, and Albany, New York, have also launched union campaigns. Um, and you'll notice there's a lot fewer than the 200 for Starbucks. It's because Amazon warehouses often have a thousand or more employees. Um, and the workers have been organizing since this spring at ALB1, which is in Albany, and a union election. They got enough union cards signed. An election will be held there on October 13th, 14th, and 15th. So joining us now to talk about all of this is Seth Goldstein, a pro bono lawyer for the Amazon Labor Union. We're also joined by Michael Verastro, a former employee up in Albany, who we'll turn to so soon. But Seth, welcome, and, and tell us a little bit about Thursday's news that the NLRB rejected Amazon's objections to the result and sort of the process of that and what it means for the union now. Yeah, we're very glad that the employer, um, uh, the employer's objections were rejected by the NL- NLRB, that the NLRB refused to go down Amazon's rabbit hole in which they wanted to um, throughout the election and disenfranchise thousands of workers. So um, that was a big victory. But this is all delay tactic by the employer uh, with the um, goal, I believe, to go to federal court and to try to get um, the right-wing court to um, both disenfranchise the employees and to perhaps overrule the National Labor Relations Act. So we need to put more pressure on the employer by organizing and worker actions and the solidarity that we saw yesterday of um, hundreds of union activists. Some of them were Amazon employees and 
um, progressives. It's heartening and the beginning of what I believe is not just a union, but a movement. Right. And Seth, can you just talk a little bit more about the appeals process that went on with the NLRB uh, and how it ended up out in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, even though the case uh, started here in the New York City area, and what y'all had to go through uh, to uh, address Amazon's uh, fabricated uh, uh, allegations and and what that was all about for you all to to have to do that. So um, Amazon had a strategy when they lost the election to try to delay it and also to try to cause the union to spend um, a lot of money um, defending what was a significant victory of 11, you know, almost 11%. Um, so what they did was they decided to cop, well, to do what um, Starbucks is also doing, which is to attack the National Labor Relations Board and accuse the National Labor Relations Board of favoring um, Amazon Labor Union, which is not close to the case. Um, so as a result of that, in order to be fair, the NLRB removed the case to Region 29, which is in Arizona, because obviously Region 29 could not um, hold a hearing when they were being accused by Amazon of also interfering in the election. So we had to go through at least 24 days of hearing a 5,000 page transcript, which cost the union $30,000, six lawyers. Um, and you know, 144, um, decision. We wrote a 145 page brief, which costs tens of thousands of dollars and all four, you know, Amazon's temper tantrum about losing the election. Right. And just one, one quick thing about the, in all our, the National Labor Relations Act and Amazon's objections, which I, I feel like I hear echoed from Starbucks as well, is that that law is pro-labor organized. I mean, it, it essentially tries to guarantee that all workers have the yeah. right to choose whether they want a union or not and to create the uh, free and fair conditions for them to make that choice. But it was uh, passed in 1935 during the New Deal era. And the goal was to make it as seamless as possible for workers to be able to organize a union if that's what they want. Right. They they were never envisioning the, the NLRB of being an umpire and being neutral between um, organizing and non-organizing. The whole purpose of the National Labor Relations Act was to um, encourage unionization across the United States. So Amazon's arguments are ridiculous. But Amazon is also an expert of delay tactics, and it's not so much uh, the issue regarding the merits of the case. Amazon wants delay. Amazon wants people to give up hope, and Amazon is looking for a right-wing um, court to basically knock out the National Labor Relations Act and reinstall what is called Lochner, which is uh, basically getting rid of the... Um, any regulatory agencies which help workers. Right. So the NLRA, which, you know, has been around for nearly 100 years, has uh, is a decently written law with absolutely no teeth. 
um, which is why we see so much stalling in the election process over these past couple of years with the labor boom. And now they're trying to get rid of it. Now, how much traction does that have, Seth? Well, um, their hope is to get it to the Supreme Court and their hope is to rely on Alito and Clarence Thomas and the other right-wing fanatics to try to um, do what they did to Dobbs. I mean, focus on Dobbs and Chevron. Dobbs being the, um, uh, you know, the overruling of Roe v. Wade and, and Chevron basically attacking independent discretion of agencies. That's what they're relying on. And they, I mean, they have... Um, Support from uh, some of the right-wing Republican senators. They've been writing letters about it. I've seen it in the Wall Street Journal and some of the other um, conservative publications that that's what their goal is. This is part of the attack on the administrative state. And this is what Amazon is hoping to gain from it because they did not like the results. Of course, when it came to the other election at LDJ5 where they won, they didn't have a problem with it. Right. Um, exactly. And uh, we'll be looking at LDJ5, which is another uh, warehouse on Staten Island, uh, that, where, as Seth just said, they did not win the union election, but they are regrouping to, to refile. Um, and uh, we're going to bring in Michael here now. Uh, Michael Verostro, we have on the air with us, um, who, who's been um, supporting the Amazon Labor Union up in Albany. Uh, Michael, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Amber. How are you doing? I am doing all right. Happy to have you here with us. So, uh, Michael worked at Amazon for uh, almost two years since December 2020 and was recently let go. Um, and the union has since spoken out against that. So, Michael, tell us uh, briefly about your story um, and, and, and uh, uh, yeah, tell us your story. I began there in October of 2020. Uh, two months later, I found out I had an aggressive form of prostate cancer. In 2021, I went through 44 rounds of radiation. I would go 7.30 in the morning and then show up to work about 8.15 or 8.20 in the morning. I may have taken two or three days off in that time period. Uh, I think everybody there recognized my work ethic, noticed, knew that I was devoted to my job. And... Um, I would openly speak out to supervisors and managers about what I thought was um, an inadequate application or enforcement of the rules at Amazon. And uh, I wasn't afraid to open my mouth about it. Amazon has a policy of see something, say something. So when I saw something that I thought was wrong, I would speak openly about it. And I would challenge them. Um, a few weeks ago, it's almost two weeks ago now today, Two weeks ago, I think Thursday or Friday, I had a few mechanical and technical issues at work, and I got very frustrated. I got moved to a new work location. Those technical issues continued, and out of just some frustration, I, I kicked an empty box on the floor in the workstation. Uh, a little while later, when I was up and running and finally working, my supervisor approached me, asked me to go for a walk, and I declined. I said, I'm up and running. I'm working now. I'm behind on my work right now. And I would just like to continue doing my work. And she said, why did you kick the box? And I told her that I was just, um, you know, just very frustrated. At the time that I kicked the box, 
I didn't realize that there was a coworker working in the station behind me. So I did go over after I was finally up and running and working, I did go over and apologize to her. I apologize sincerely. I said, I'm sorry about my, you know, kicking the box. I didn't mean, I didn't mean anything by it. It wasn't directed at you. And she seemed to not really care too much. Anyways, about two days later on Saturday, I had to leave work early for some health related issues. And then I noticed that night that I had two calls from Amazon HR and I missed, but there was no voicemail message. Then there was another call Sunday. Uh, that would be Sunday, August 28th. So I finally called them and they told me that they were calling about an incident on site. And they told me that it was about me kicking the box. So I, I went through the whole story just like I went through with you just now. And they said they were conducting an investigation on this because they were considering this to be workplace violence. And they told me to stay home from work on Wednesday and that they would get in touch with me. They ended up taking off 10 hours of my UPT unpaid time off for Wednesday. I emailed them on Thursday. They emailed me back and said they had corrected the, the time off matter and they would be calling me later in the day with an update. Uh, last Thursday, about one o'clock in the afternoon, they called me and told me that I was fired for workplace violence. And I was, I was stunned. I was, I was, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, there's a lot of other things that are wrong there that never get corrected and never get disciplined and which people never end up in termination for. And they told me because it was workplace violence that I had no right to an appeal. Yeah. And um, so here I am now uh, and I've had tremendous support and I can't, I can't say how thankful I am for it. Tremendous support from the union people, especially Heather and Kim and uh, Tia and a few others, and tremendous support. I can't thank Seth enough for what he's doing on my behalf. And I just thought it was a, a, a real injustice. Right. And, and so, um, Seth, tell us now about the, the legal issues with what Michael just described to you um, on behalf of the union and on behalf of Michael obviously claimed, uh, filed claims with the NLRB, that's the National Labor Relations Board that we've been talking about on Friday about this firing. So tell us about that. Well, I'm actually representing Michael and with great pride because Michael played by the rules and, you know, did everything right. And because he spoke out and gave his opinion, which you're able to do under the National Labor Relations Act, they have unjustly, um, you know, terminated him. Um, I've never heard a case where someone gets fired for kicking an empty box. That certainly isn't violence. Um, and remember, Michael did not um, have any disciplinary action previously or any write-ups. He was a producer. And um, also, I want to point out that Michael um, is in, you know, uh, his own life is in danger because of what Amazon did because he was getting cancer um, uh, prescript drug prescriptions against cancer, and now that's going to be cut off at the end of the month. And that's something we see time and again with Amazon uh, 
essentially firing workers who are sick, who one can suppose are not That's, getting them as many results. Well, Michael had results. Um, not to, pardon me, not to discount Michael's work at all. It sounds like you, you, I mean, you haven't missed any days while you were receiving radiation. That's incredible, Michael. But we have seen Amazon um, let go of people who have health issues, essentially. Mm-hmm. Right, Seth? Yeah, we have. And, um, you know, uh, I think this is a human rights violation, what has occurred in Michael's case, as long as other other cases as well. Um, you know, it, it, it's just extraordinary to believe that the company is so cruel to do this. I happen to believe it's because um, Michael raised some inconvenient truths with Amazon, and that's why he's protected under the National Labor Relations Act. And we want to hear more about that, um, Michael. So you haven't been in the building for nearly a week now, but you were there uh, much before and while the union campaign had been launched. And you told me a little bit about how you were surprised by the way Amazon was responding to that. Could you talk a little bit more about the anti-union feelings uh, and sentiment at work before you yeah, I, I was really turned off by how aggressive uh, Amazon was in their anti-union stance, they would have these eight and a half by 11 plexiglass displays on their tables in the break rooms with, you know, warnings like don't sign the union card. Here's what will happen if you sign the union card. They'll have your name, address, telephone number, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then they also had signs or notices on the large television screens throughout the building. And then uh, it was shortly, I believe, I want to say maybe the first week or so, first or second week in July, I was on light duty at the time after I'd returned from work from surgery, which was in mid-June. And I noticed a group of people, like 30 people or so, going into this meeting room, and I didn't know what was going on. And I, I asked my supervisor, and she said, oh, yeah, she said it's a mandatory meeting. She said she used the word mandatory. Mm-hmm. Mandatory meeting where everybody has to go to. Mm-hmm. And you're scheduled for tomorrow's meeting at, I think it was like 11 o'clock in the morning. The meeting lasted about an hour. And there were two people from Amazon, I believe one from Kansas City and one from North Carolina, who had come in. And it was obvious to everybody in the room that it was basically an anti-union push. Right. They were talking all about the things that could happen if, you know, if you join the union or if the union comes in. There were some very pointed questions asking, being asked, and um, they weren't giving satisfactory answers at all. And I really became, uh, I want to say use the word disgusted, but I was really turned off by how aggressive they were with this push. Right. And, and so these are captive audience meetings that they were using a lot during the Staten Island and Bessemer, Alabama campaigns that your manager said was mandatory. But since between the Staten Island and Alabama campaigns and this current Albany campaign, Seth, didn't the NLRB actually say that they cannot make captive audience meetings mandatory thanks to you? <laughs> yeah, they um basically Yeah, they basically have a rule that says now that um you're not required to go to captive audience meetings and if you um before your um 
provided notice about these captive audience meetings, the employer has to say that you're not required to go. And if you don't go, you're not going to be retaliated against. Neither of which they did in this case. And we actually filed, I did file a board charge um, in addition to the discharge against Michael, one on the uh, captive audience meeting requirement. Right. Um, Just wanted to point that out there. Uh, So Michael, you know, you have uh, since your firing started supporting the union much more actively um, yet now, as you said, you, you have a aggressive prostate cancer, um, which must be extremely tiring. So why are you spending your time, uh, on a union campaign now, in addition to everything else and the difficulty? Well, I had an oncologist, an appointment with my oncologist last Wednesday, the day before I got fired. Right. And, um, he told me when he first began working with me that, you know, because of the aggressiveness of my cancer, that the best case scenario for me was probably five or six good years, maybe. And now we're a year and a half into that. So, you know, we might be talking four and a half to five years. And he repeated that stance with me on Wednesday. And he also ordered a kidney scan or kidney ultrasound. And, you know, I've been accepting of the fact that, you know, my lifespan has been shortened. You know, I may have four or five years left. So my position now is, you know, I'm really not working or helping the union really for my benefit, um, maybe to some degree for my benefit, but hopefully to help others and open the eyes of other people there at Amazon and hopefully even around the country uh, to see that companies like Amazon, you know, run people into the ground, take advantage of them, and they're just, and then they discard them like yesterday's newspaper. And right. I just think it's totally unfair. It's it's just wrong. Well, we are very moved. I am very moved by that, Michael. You know, um, and 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 I wish you and everybody all the best in, in all your efforts. Um, and and we'll continue to be in conversation with you and everybody in Albany. Um, and now I have one last question for Seth. Uh, Seth, tell us a little bit about. Uh, all of the legal students that you've been bringing under your win, wing um, to help do all of these charges you're filing against Amazon and Guttmacher and all the other workers you're representing. So talk a little bit about that. Um, and the reason I'm bringing it up is because yesterday at the rally, there was amazing solidarity felt. And I was speaking with some of the ALU members who said that that was, if not their biggest, one of their biggest rallies. So it's great to see that momentum is continuing to build. And as everyone brought up, this has been a huge year for labor. Um, you know, there's been like a, a, a ton of organizing. So tell us about the young people who've been helping you. Yes, I, I probably have between 70 and 80 law students right now all over the country that are volunteering to help uh, workers like Michael. Actually, one of the workers interviewed Michael. I mean, the law students interviewed Michael. And they have come forth to show that they really care about this issue, that they care about workers' rights, and that they're going to volunteer to do this. And it is heartening to me because I think mm-hmm. – the best way to combat Amazon's human rights violations and selfishness and greed and, and more um, 
their immoral stance is to bring in people with good hearts that are willing to stand up for workers. And that's what's happening here. It's just amazing. Right. And we're going to continue to follow that story as well, because that is great. People coming together with solidarity to share their time. And, you know, I'll say uh, one more thing about the rally yesterday. Uh, also heard from organizers that since Thursday's announcement that Amazon's rejections are not merited, there have been a lot more workers on the floor at the Amazon warehouse wearing their ALU shirts. So that's good news. Seth Goldstein and Michael Verastro of the Amazon Labor Union, thank you so much for joining us. And thank all you, of our listeners can find, follow the Amazon Labor Union on Twitter and Instagram at Amazon Labor Union. And looking forward to the October 13th through 15th election in Albany, we are going to go to a short musical break and we will be back. Stumble to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five by Dolly Parton. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm your host, Ambigar Garian, joined with my co-host, John Tarleton. John, we started talking during the music break about how Labor Day became a holiday and why we celebrate that here in the U.S. while the rest of the world celebrates International Workers' Day on May 1st. Yes, it's uh, quite a tangled, tangled history that dates back to the late 19th century, but the politics that led to that uh, split are reflected in the labor movement to this very day. Yes, they are. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So uh, the uh, original Labor Day uh, was first celebrated here in New York City in September of 1882, and uh, it, various uh, uh, labor unions uh, participated and essentially involved a, a parade, uh, thousands of Unionists participated in, followed by uh, picnics, so a very, uh, you know, sort of conventional, fairly conventional affair. And, uh, it was well received and, and well liked. And, uh, uh, the, uh, unionists who, uh, did that first Labor Day, uh, decided to keep on doing it, both here in New York and in other, uh, cities around the country. Now, these unions were the more, uh, sort of, uh, 
I guess, mainstream or conservative unions of the time, often craft workers who had very specialized skills and kind of saw themselves as a little bit apart from sort of maybe more of the low-wage immigrant workforce of that day that worked under especially harsh conditions. I mean, it was harsh for most workers in that time, but the um, less skilled immigrant workers uh, had it hardest of all. And in uh, fast forward a, a few years in May, uh, May 1st, 1886, uh, you had something of a general strike in this country, you had uh, workers, uh, hundreds of thousands of workers uh, in various cities around the country uh, went, went on strike uh, demanding an eight hour workday. And, and, uh, uh, and this was, this movement was led by socialists and anarchists. So the more, a radical wing of the uh, labor movement of that era. A- and um, anyway, the, the most uh, remembered aspect of all that was uh, the um, clashes in Chicago um, uh, around at, at the Haymarket Square. And, yeah. which, uh, uh, and, and uh, 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 there's a lot of controversy around that, what exactly happened, uh, but the upshot of it all, uh, several people, uh, uh, died and uh, several police officers. There's, there's been a lot of conjecture that essentially the, the, the thing was staged to, uh, prompt a crackdown on the labor movement in Chicago. Um, ultimately, uh, uh, s- several workers were executed, uh, 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 labor leaders and, and, and became known as the martyrs of Haymarket. And, and soon after that, uh, the, the international socialist movement took up the cause of the Haymarket martyrs and pr- proclaimed May 1st as International Workers Day. Um, and at the same time, uh, 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 President Grover Cleveland in 1894, uh, convinced Congress to, to pass, uh, to enact, uh, Labor Day as the, um, official labor holiday to be on the first, uh, Monday of, of September. A- and then, Soon after that, he was, uh, I guess, trying to curry a little bit of favor with uh, the labor movement. But then he uh, sent the National Guard to go suppress the the, the Pullman uh, railroad workers' strike, and, and uh, thirty workers were killed uh, in that by the National Guard uh, to uh, uh, break that strike. And anyhow, uh, so Labor Day, the official Labor Day, was more popular uh, with uh, you know the more conventional part of the labor. Uh, movement, the American Federa- Federation of Labor led by Samuel Gompers and, uh, and, and again, the, the more, say, radical or militant, uh, socialist, uh, part of the labor movement identified more with, with May Day and its more internationalist, uh, vision, more radical vision as well. Uh, so those two days were, uh, uh both celebrated by different parts of the labor movement for, for many years. But by the time you got to the beginning of the Cold War, uh, May Day pretty much disappeared uh, from the picture here in the United States, even though its right. origins came from the United States and from uh, Chicago. And, and uh, May Day was really only revived in this country in a in a major way in 2006, thanks to the immigrant rights movement, uh, which was also a very much a a workers uh, a movement as well. And uh, uh, many of the the participants in the in the immigrants' rights movement of 2006 came from Latin American countries where May Day is uh, widely celebrated. And they brought that back to this country in a, in a really beautiful way. And so we, we, we've continued to see May Day celebrated in this country uh, now ever since then. 
And of course, we still have Labor Day. And what we saw yesterday was more militant unionists uh, 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 coming out and it, with with their vision. And it's noteworthy that uh, I mean, you were there at Times Square where, where the rally ended. Very few uh, representatives from, uh, say, the more official labor movement uh, were anywhere to be found. Even though, uh, if the labor movement has any uh, vibrant future ahead of it, it's groups like. Uh, Amazon Labor Union and Starbucks uh, Workers United and others uh, that are that future, but they didn't seem to want to uh, uh, be seen with them. Right. That split continues today, unfortunately. Uh, yes. And, and just the last note, of course, that that uh, lack of an internationalist vision uh, was reflected in a, in a, a very serious way during the cold war, the, uh, right. Uh, the AFL-CIO uh, very much um, aligned itself with the U.S. government throughout the Cold War and, and in many cases in various countries around the world uh, worked to suppress or help to suppress uh, leftist labor movements that were seen as uh, you know too uh, pro-socialist or pro-communist. Um, and uh, so, again, they were willing to, to play that role in, in uh, uh, break with any sort of uh, ideal of uh, international uh, solidarity of the working class in favor of uh, aiding the U.S. government in its uh, uh, worldwide uh, campaign throughout the, the the Cold War era, and 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 just one other thing that I couldn't help but note in the recent primaries, we we had a state senate contest um, in in uh, Western Queens, North Brooklyn, uh, that involved a, a Democratic Socialist, Kristen Gonzalez versus a very sort of old school uh, Democrat, Elizabeth Crowley, who has held various offices and also lost a number of races in her career. Um, and uh, uh, Crowley was ba- backed by almost all the uh, large unions in the city. And even though this district has overwhelmingly voted for socialist, Democratic socialist candidates in recent years, voted for Bernie, voted for AOC, voted for Tiffany Caban, voted for Zora Mondani, Emily Gallagher, Julia Salazar. I mean, this is like you know, a sort of a bastion of sort of this youthful uh, socialism. And these unions uh, couldn't in any way embrace that and, and, and support Gonzalez. And, and they poured tons of money into assisting Crowley, as did all sorts of real estate interests and other corporate interests. And at the end of the day, uh, the, the Democratic Socialist, Kristen Gonzalez, won by 26 points. It's like, why, why these unions, even in a situation like that, you know, uh, embrace such a self-defeating uh, role. Uh, you know, it's it, it's hard to say, but there's obviously a, a long history of the more cautious parts of the labor movement or the more conservative parts uh, playing this kind of role. And uh, hopefully over time, uh, as this rising generation of labor activists, socialists, and others, uh, you know, takes the center stage more and more, uh, hopefully that some of those uh, um, kind of... Uh, ingrained habits will will start to change more right and i'll note that the afl-cio is still currently not supporting workers internationally in some very specific ways which i'd like to talk more about on the show at some other time but uh we have another guest that we're very excited to speak with 
Firstly, I would just like to send a very sincere message to all of our listeners asking you to donate to this wonderful station that we are on that promotes and provides a space for independent media that is one of its kind, that has been around since 1960, that is a legacy in New York and is a beacon of something fresh and positive to listen to that is not the mainstream media on this radio station. And as always, we are struggling and we need money from our listeners and supporters. That is how we get our founding. We do not have money from corporations independent. So please call 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950 to donate, or if you prefer to go online, you can go to give the number to WBAI.org. That's give the number to WBAI.org. For those of you who are searching for a pen, I'll say the phone number again. It's 212-209-2950. Please donate today. If you haven't donated, but you listen regularly, 5, 10, 15, 20, 100, support the news you want to hear. Please, 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. Or give the number to WBAI.org. Give the number to WBAI.org. That's right. And when you do, you make it possible for us to bring the voices of people like Derek Palmer, Seth Goldstein, Michael Verasco, and, and as well as all the other great shows that are on the station uh, 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 this day and every day of the week, uh, uh, news and public affairs shows, cultural programming, music, like in the kind of music and cultural programming you're not going to find anywhere else, and not and nor the kind of news and public affairs programming you're going to find anywhere else. You know, this this is not the you know the slick uh, mainstream. Uh, uh, you know, NPR kind of station where you kind of get the, you know, the, the government, uh, approved or at least the government, uh, sympathetic version of, of what's going on in the world. And, uh, you make it possible. 212-209-2950. Again, that's 212-209-2950 or give number two WBAI.org. You can sign up as a WBAI buddy. Uh, that's a beautiful gift to to give. You can become a WBAI buddy for as little as $10 a month, provide that steady support from month to month that the station needs. And it's many hundreds of buddies that are really the backbone uh, of this station that whose contributions come in month after month, $10 a month, $15 a month, $20 or $30 a month. It makes all the difference, and it keeps uh, this kind of programming going uh Day after day, week after week, month after month, we couldn't do it without you. 212-209-2950. And one of the voices that your support helps make possible is our next guest, Dr. Caliris Salas Ramirez. Uh, As we mentioned earlier in the show, a, a new school year begins on Thursday for New York City's 1 million public school students. And, and, um, uh, our, our guest, uh, uh, Dr. Ramirez Salas, is a public school parent leader and a member of New York City's school board, the, pol- the panel on educational policy. Uh, she's been a, a prominent critic of the decision by Mayor Adams and the city council to, f- to fund our schools this year by $469 million. And, and she's going to uh, tell us more about the impact of that. And also, uh, there's a big rally coming up. Uh, tomorrow, uh, outside the DOE headquarters at 52 Chambers Street, uh, 
Clear Salas Ramirez. Welcome to WBAI. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Sure. So just for starters, uh, can you talk about uh, tomorrow's rally uh, at the Tweed uh, Courthouse at 52 uh, Chamber Street, where the DOE is headquartered, and what you all are demanding? Yeah, so we're still asking for our $469 million that will go directly to school budgets. Um, that's what the the impact that was made directly on schools. It doesn't mean that there isn't money missing for programming and other things that are needed in our schools, but that those are for the direct budgets. Tomorrow we'll be coming together at 430. Uh, the last couple of weeks, Mayor Adams, as he's engaged, engaged protesters, he's asked for prayers. Um, so we have partnered with faith leaders across the city about 140 of them have signed a letter that was sent last week to Mayor Adams demanding that these cuts be restored, asking for prayer not to be weaponized, and letting him know he has free will. He can make this decision and make the moral decision to fund our public schools and support our students. And so tomorrow at Tweed, we will be there 430 um, we will, those have, that have purchased Eric Adams defunded our schools. We're asking you to wear that. We're asking you to wear black if you don't have a t-shirt. Um, and we will be there with faith leaders, parents, students, and teachers demanding the $469 million that were cut from our school budgets. Today, New York City Council passed a resolution demanding that Mayor Adams and Chancellor Banks immediately restore these cuts. Unfortunately, these resolutions are non-binding, and until the mayor actually makes that decision, we won't get our money back. And can you elaborate more on what kind of impact these cuts have in the classroom, in the schools in general? Absolutely. So... What we've seen and what we've heard on the ground is that schools are losing social workers. Um, they're losing music teachers, art teachers, any sort of enrichment that they've had in their schools, restorative justice coordinators, um, and personnel have been accessed as well. And so class sizes are also increasing as a result of these school budget cuts. There have been some schools that have submitted appeals, um, and therefore some some schools are getting enough funding to retain their staff. But 77% of the schools in our city are suffering from these budget cuts. Um, and so we're really concerned that we're starting the year without services when there are over 20% of our students are students with IEPs. Um, we also have a large population of English language learners. Um, in addition, we are receiving a thousand students that are asylum seekers that will need supports in, in school communities. And so we're very concerned right. that if we don't have this money in our schools, we're not going to be able to serve our most marginalized students. And can you give us a quick, quick update on the legal battle? Uh, that began in the summer, uh, 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 the the coalition yeah. that wanted to restore these cuts uh, initially uh, won uh, uh, with the first judge they went to and then had that uh, victory overturned on appeal. And it's, uh, the, the yeah, Adams so administration, just, I guess, continues to fight this in the courts. So far, we're still fighting. So September 29th, 
We're going to have another hearing um, that will be in the appellate court. I think the lawyers are still trying to figure out whether they're going to have multiple judges um, during that time in the appellate court. But a final decision will be made on September 29th. And so currently schools are dealing with the budgets that were originally proposed in February by the mayor over the summer at one point when the lawsuit was um was granted uh by Le- by judge Frank Lyle uh schools were actually given the budget from last year which was the largest amount of money that schools had ever seen historically because of the excess stimulus funds that schools were able to receive because of the federal stimulus money um but now we're back to these cuts um and to our programming being impacted because of it Right. And, and can you compare the way the schools have been defunded with how the NYPD has been fully funded? So schools um, it took the biggest hit um, in uh, in this mayor's budget. However, um, the NYPD continued to, to receive are fully funded in addition to receiving an extra one percent. Um, of their budget. It's interesting because we talk about student enrollment loss um, in our schools. We know that police officers are also leaving the NYPD. And so somehow they're able to retain their funding and even get more money. We roughly spend $30 million a day on the NYPD. Right. And they also uh, set an all-time record with their overtime budget. We just recently learned as well, go, topping a, a billion dollars in overtime spending. So they can certainly find the money when they want to. Absolutely. And city council also supported that. Um, so we've had some really tough conversations with our representatives and really uh, tried to get to a place where they understand that this mayor is not supporting public education and is supporting heavy policing. And so they have to also make some moral decisions moving forward and hold the mayor accountable. So now we would like and we demand our representatives to have actionable items. There is a budget modification that is coming in November um, where we can bring more money into our public schools. Unfortunately, um, it won't have as much of an impact as if we restore those funds right now. But we are looking to continue to bring money into our public schools so that we can support our students moving forward. Right, Claris. And, you know, I um, was actually speaking to someone in more UFT yesterday and she was uh, works in special ed and was talking about uh, how there's essentially a group of rotating teachers or educators that now at least of yesterday had no idea where they would start working today um, because the teachers have to go in early. So talk a little bit about that because I remember being a student with a similarly unstable situation going on with the staff and faculty and how unstable that felt in K-12. So what's going on there? We have a lot of movement going on right now. Um, Central is deploying several um, teachers as well as different 
um, instructional coordinators and social workers, um, and they're sending them to district offices, but nobody knows which office they're going to go to, and nobody knows how they're going to support our local schools. And so while we could definitely be placing that money into our public schools and making sure that we retain our staff, um, there's this like movement of teachers and different instructional coordinators throughout our system, new relationships, new thoughts, new practices, new superintendents that will have different desires on how these teachers will support school communities, not directly planning and or doing anything that will directly support children. Um, and so we're gravely concerned. Um, this morning, an article came out on Chalkbeat where we, we have about, uh, 15 seconds before we have to go. Yeah. So a thousand people being moved around. Nobody knows what's happening. <laughs> okay. And, and last thing, um, with tomorrow's rally, uh, where can people find more information about it? Feel free to look on Instagram at New Yorkers for Racially Just Public Schools um, or the People's Plan. Uh, tomorrow, 430 Tweed Courthouse. Just be there. Okay. Well, we'll leave it there. But uh, Dr. Uh, Clearis uh, Salas-Ramirez, uh, parent educator, member of the New York City School Board, thank you so much for joining us again on WBAI Radio. Thank you. All right. Well, that uh, just about wraps it up. We want to uh, thank our uh, board operator, Reggie Johnson. We'll be back same time next Tuesday. And Amba, what's our uh, outro music for today? I Couldn't Say It To Your Face by Arthur Russell. Say to your face, but I.